Man, I'm excited this morning. I am excited this morning. Uh, God has so much that I think he's trying to get to us. And I, and I think a part of it is, is our expectancy. There's something about giving a gift when somebody's expecting you to get it. Give it to them because they're, they're ready. Is anybody ready for the word of God this morning? Like, for real. Like, are you ready for the word of God this morning? Okay. All right. Okay. Let's, let's do this thing. My iPad's going to act funny, but you know what? No weapon. I'm kidding. I don't give the enemy credit. I don't give the enemy credit. Anyway, so uh, we're in our sermon series called Culture Code, where we look at what God calls the church, and more specifically, we're looking at what God is calling our church to be to our city, to our families, to our friend groups, to the people that we have in our networks. And I honestly believe that uh, we, we talked about a couple weeks ago that the, 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 the church has this idea of community a little bit twisted sometimes that it's all about getting people into the room, but the most important thing that we're supposed to be doing is being the light of Jesus in the world. That our job is not just to get people saved, but it's to prepare them for a life here on earth, not just in heaven, right? Because once you get to heaven, you have no power, but God sent us here to earth to rule some things. So uh, how many of you guys were able to listen to Pastor Martin's message last week? Listen, Pastor Martin had a whole bunch of great analogies regarding the hosta and regarding gumbo, like the big giant pot, And I'm just praying that the anointing that God put on him, that I got just a little bit of the residue this morning. Uh, Pastor made a very big point about how when you're you're cooking something and you start to stir it, that you can get used to how things are supposed to be. And then you put the paddle back in the water and you go in the opposite direction to shake it up. How many people this morning, like, like you're looking to be shaken up? Like there's some things that have settled... There's some things that have settled, like there's some residue at the bottom of your pot, but you're looking for God to stir you up this morning. Like, that, like that's what happened this morning, earlier. Mother Alice, like, th- this morning at 7 o'clock, God was like, I want, you to, I, I want you to teach the Word of God, but I want you to teach it from my perspective. Say my perspective. Because a lot of times we get up here and we teach from what we think we know, but God says, no, 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 no. What I want you to do is I want you to teach from my perspective. I want you to talk to my, chi- my, my children on behalf of me, not on behalf of yourself. So today what I want you to do is I want you to lean in. Can you say lean in? Can, can you physically lean in? Like, like I, I want you to lean into what God is trying to tell you this morning, not what's coming out of my mouth, but what the word of God is doing. Like, do you understand that the word of God literally lives and breathes and has being, and that if you taste and eat of it, that you'll never be hungry again. Like, it's, it's, it's the feeling after you go to an all-you-can-eat buffet and you eat that last bite that you know you shouldn't have and you tried not to, but you took it anyway, right? It's the bite that takes you over the edge. But I want to let you know that once you give your life to God and once you make the decision that you're going to drink from his cup, you always have room for more. The analogy is that the cup never run. I'm sorry, the analogy is that the cup runneth over, but God still gives you capacity to catch the excess. God gives you food that you will never be hungry again, not just so that you can be satisfied, but so that you can share it with somebody else. You ever been hungry and somebody else is eating and they don't offer you anything of their food? Even though it's not your food, it would still be nice and kind for them to share. So the question is, if we're in community, if we're talking about culture, how can we know a Jesus and not share him with somebody else? How can we be satisfied and full in our stomach and see another person in this world that is dying of thirst, dying of wanting to have something to eat, and we are not in a place where we are comfortable or confident to feed them the word that has given us some flavor? The culture cult means absolutely nothing. We can teach people how to, how to be leaders, but the culture cult means nothing if we don't present them with the Jesus that saved our lives. We cool? Okay, that should be enough time for my iPad to charge. There we go. All right, we're in there. That was good, huh? That was on purpose, though, I promise. So anyway, this is what I want to do this morning. So can we open up our Bibles? Is anybody ready for the word? Let's start with the word this morning. Open up your Bibles if you have one. If you don't, open up your, your, your phone. We have a Bible in our app. Uh, at AWC app on Google Play and AWC, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, in app, the Apple Store has a shameless plug. But let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 5. When we look at the book of Luke, we find Jesus walking with a crowd. Many times when you, when you read of, of the, 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 the stories of Jesus where he's doing miracles or where, where he's in that three years of the last three years of his life from 30 to 33 is where he does all the miracles and he does everything that, that, that he was supposed to do, right? Like, he actually fulfills his mission and his purpose. Like, he always has a crowd of people around him. Do you guys remember when we talked about there was multitudes of people? Can you say multitudes? Multitudes. 
like when we say multitudes, that means that there were thousands of people. And if you're going to be with thousands of people and they're following you, you got to be able to feed them. This is the first question. How many people are following you? Because if you know who's following you, you know what you need to bring to feed them. Jesus knew that if I'm going to have these people following me, I'm going to have to have a way to sustain them. If, if they're going to be following me, I, they, they can't be following me hungry. How many people are following you and they're hungry? How many people are following you? They're in your house almost every other week. Or your kids go to school, but you still haven't been able to share with them why your life is different. Because I'm going to burst your bubble. The people that live in your life, they know that you're different. They can see it. They can smell it. They can taste it. They feel it when you walk into their presence. So Jesus understood that if I'm in these people's space, I have to make it worthwhile. And they're not going to be able to walk with me from city to city if they're hungry. So when we look, when we look at the word, at Luke, we're starting Luke 5.5. 5. So it says, one day, as Jesus was standing by a lake in, Je- uh, you got to help me with this one, Pastor, Genesaret, the people, Jezeret, oh, the ends are silent. Thank you very much. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats. Can you say two boats? Left there by the fishermen. Underline this next term. Who were doing what? Washing their nets. He got, oh, I'm sorry. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little more, uh, a little from, uh, from shore. Then, underline this, he sat down and taught the people from where? From the boat. The fourth, uh, yeah, the fourth. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, and he right, uh, underlined this one. He says, Master, we've, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, say because you say so. Oh, it's going to be so good in a minute. Because you say so, Lord, you know what? We're, we're, we're going to do it anyway. Master, we're, we, we've worked all night, but since you say so, I'll let, my, uh, let down my nets. When they had done so, underline this part, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Listen to this next verse. When Simon Peter saw Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, and I want you to underline this because this is going to be the slogan for your week. This is going to be the slogan for your week. Then Jesus said to Simon, he says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be a fisher of people. In some of your Bibles, it says a fisher of what? Men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, and they left everything and followed him. Today, I want to talk to you from the title called Netted. And I have a couple of different uh, subtitles, like who's in your boat, know your bait, and when the boat is full, and like the subtitles like get people really hyped, but I really want the word to be the star of the show this morning. The title is cool, but I want God's word to be the star of the show this morning. So I have, I have a couple of points that I want to share with you regarding this text, uh, but I, I want to tell you a story. Can, can I tell you a story first? Okay, so a couple days ago um, on Thursday, I was at our gas station. Have you guys been to the gas station down the street right here, the quick shop? I'm not the quick shop, I'm sorry, the, the, the QT. Uh, I went into the QT on Thursday. Thursday, it was like 98 degrees with a heat index of like 70%, so it felt like 110 degrees. Do you guys remember that? How many of y'all didn't go outside? So I don't know what you're talking about because I didn't go outside. <laughs> anyway, it was extremely hot outside. And as I was walking out, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but have you ever seen the people that stand at the, the corner or like in the middle of the median that are like looking for food and whatnot? So it was one of those days that like I was like, you know what? Good morning, Callie. Sorry, good morning. So anyway, good morning. So uh, I, I saw this lady standing at the end of the corner, and I was, I was really hot. And like, I, if you know enough, you can look at somebody and tell if they really need something. Like, in my head, I made the judgment, she really doesn't need anything. Like, she, like, it's too hot for her to be out here. Like, she probably has somewhere to be, and it's probably a scam. And as I went to walk into the gas station, I didn't need any gas, but I was going to get some water, knowing that I could have driven back to the church to get some water. 
So I walked into the gas station and I asked the lady, I said, hey, let me get a water. And she says, oh, do you know that we're running a promotion that you can get two bottles of water for one? And I said, oh, bet, two bottles of water for me. Holy Spirit hadn't got me yet. So I paid for the water and I was walking outside, right? I walked outside, I went to go to my keys, uh, I got my keys um, off of my belt loop because I have a little hook and I went to open up the, the car door and it was weird because like I thought I was sweating but I began to cry. But it was this moment where like, I was like outside of my body looking at myself crying because I realized that I had two bottles of water, but I had already made a past judgment on somebody that I didn't even know. So then the Holy Spirit asked me, he said, what if she is trying to scam somebody? Isn't she as hot as you are? So, so I'm sitting there shook, like not, not, like, not like, like tears, like I mean like, uh, like I mean, and it was so uncomfortable. But God said, this is what the Holy Spirit said to me. He said, if you were out there standing, would you want somebody to give you some water? Then I thought this question, how much must you hate someone not to give them a sip of water? So I'm sitting there convicted and I have these two things of water and I'm looking at my car and then God started to remind me, like, remember the money that I gave you to get the water that you're about to take for yourself? Like, think about the promotion and the discount at this gas station that's going to give you an extra one. Like, like, the birds fly around and they're able to eat and drink. Who are you not to be able to spare what you have for this lady? So I, I put my keys in my pocket and I walked up to the lady. I said a couple of things to her and I handed her the water. And she looked at me and she said, God bless you. And I became broken. And then I started to think, because Bishop McIntosh and his wife came into town. Can we give them a hand clap just real quick? They're doing absolutely amazing things. And this time I want to honor you because they're helping me see that a lot of what you think you know, God is still trying to teach you something. Like as much as you think you know, God is like, no, you still don't have it. Like once you think you've learned everything, God's like, I got to break you down so I can show you that I'm the master, the alpha, the omega, the creator, and the end. Anyway. So I grabbed the water, I gave it to the lady, and she looked at me, and she said, God bless you. And I looked at her, and in my heart, I felt I'm not even worthy of what you're saying to me. You're out here looking for money on the side of the road, and I'm giving you water, but I'm the one that feels humbled. I think that God is going to call all of us to this place where we're going to start being humbled by the people that God wants to reach. God's reached you. He's got you. You got God in your back pocket. Everything is yes and amen. You call somebody and they answer, oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. But what about the person that's thirsting for water on the outside of the building? What about the person, the cubicle at your work that you walk past? You know that they're going through stuff, but they're dehydrated, but you got the living water living on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit really had me understand. He says, you're not going to catch people by just hitting them in the head with the Bible, but you're going to catch them when you actually meet their need. Every time you look in the word of God, Jesus did what? He found them, he saw their problem, met their need, then he saved them. Saw them, met their need, saved them. We want to save them, then change them, and then tell them to pray for their needs to be met by God. But what if we were to stand in the gap between them and God and make sure you just get some water and I'll pray on your behalf? Like, what if we were to be the ones to give them the water and introduce them to the man rather than chastising them for being thirsty even though we're the ones with the water hose? So I'm sitting there convicted, and I wonder if Peter was convicted when Jesus came to him and told him to do a couple of things. He says, I know you're tired, but I want you to try to fish again. Look at your neighbor and say, fish again. Like, for real, don't, don't play this morning. Say, fish again. Like, and Jesus tells him to fish, but he gives them the wrong information at the wrong point in time. They're fishing at the wrong time of day. He tells him to cast on the opposite side of the boat, which means that you literally have to, like, undo everything you have on this side and readjust it. It's at the wrong depth. They're supposed to be fishing in shallow water because once you throw the net in shallow water, the sand starts to move and they become blind and they fall into the net. If you throw it into deep water, they see the net and they're like, we see you, bro, but the bait was delicious. Appreciate you. But I want to make sure that you understand that what we're going to learn about today in this, in this sermon called Netted is that God wants everybody to be able to drink. There is not one person that God looks at and says, you know what, I don't want my love for them. Even that person that you're thinking, that person that you just thought about, you blinked real hard, like, what about her? Yeah, Tamara, whatever her name is, God wants her to be loved too. So I got a couple points for you. You can say points. Here we go. So there are a couple of things that you have to understand if you're going to go fishing. Anybody ever gone fishing? Anybody an avid fisher? Anybody love to fish? Anybody hate fishing? Like, why are we out here? It stank. I'm hot. It stank. 
like, I'm bored. Jesus wanted to make sure something with Peter. He wanted to make sure first if he was going to follow his directions. And as I was putting together this sermon, God gave me just a couple of things that we're going to have to understand if we want to start fishing. Because the culture code is so important, but it's most important to people that have never experienced family, people that have never experienced the love of God, people that, that don't believe that they're worthy of God's grace. That's what we're doing this for. So here's the first point. You ready? The first point that you have to understand. Oh, come on. Don't, don't do this to me. Come on. The first point that, that you have to understand is that, oh my goodness, come on. The first point is where you're fishing from. What we understand is that Jesus steps into Peter's boat and he reaches the masses. God reaches others from your life. Now, I know that there are probably, well, you could probably assume that in that body of water that there were a whole bunch of different boats, right? Like in, in, in this city or in this town, it was a fisherman's town, right? So there's not one boat. There are multiple people that, 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 that are fishing. But Jesus decided to step into his boat. Can you say his boat? his boat? Which means one thing. Write this down, that Peter's boat was enough. I want you to understand that this morning, that when it comes to not winning souls necessarily, but when it comes to introducing people to God so that he can save them, that your life is enough. Your life is what you live on when, like, when things are kind of rocky, like in the water. I want you to understand that when Jesus stepped into Peter's boat, that Peter's boat was enough, which means that your life, your network, your group of friends, wherever you work, if you go to the same grocery store or you go to the same gas station, that wherever you go, the people that you come in contact with, your life is enough for them to see the blood of Jesus. That you don't have to have this ridiculous testimony. Anybody ever been there before? Like, my testimony isn't as rocky as somebody else's. Like, I didn't go through a whole bunch of things in my past, but God wants to let you know that your boat, your life is enough. Another thing that, that I understand in, in, this, in this passage is that when Jesus steps in Peter's boat, that he sits down and teaches the people that were following him from his boat, which means that your testimony, your life, the life song that God has given you that God can teach people from your experience. Is anybody following, following me this morning? That your boat is enough for you, but it's also sufficient for God to use to bless other people. That's why it's so important for us to share what God has done in our lives and what we've been through. And I don't know what happens, but like we become so clean and we become disassociated from the life that we used to live. And then we want to have people meet us in where we are. But like, I just want to make sure that you know that my life hasn't always been clean. Matter of fact, my life hasn't been clean for the last 10 seconds because the word of God says that all of us have fallen short of the glories of God, right? And we're all striving to be better. So if you understand that you're still dealing with stuff and somebody else is struggling, but the only difference is that I know God, then I need to share with you what's making me better every day. Because his grace is renewing every single day. Here we go. Second point. You ready? Second point. You have to understand what you're fishing for. First point is that you have to know where you're fishing from. The second point is that you have to know where you're fishing from, or fishing for. We have to understand that different fish take different bait. And if you have the wrong bait, you will catch something that you weren't expecting. I know it's elementary, and the last couple of sermons were fire, and Pastor Martin killed it last, last Sunday. But I really want you to lean into these elementary principles. If you are fishing and you have the wrong bait, you will only catch what attracts that bait. So if you're fishing with your depression, you will only catch people that are attracted to your If you are dealing with sexual condemnation and you're trying to figure out every relationship that you're in, they come to you because of your bodies because you're fishing with the wrong bait. So instead of fishing with trying to fill this room, what if we were to fish with God has a place for you in, his, in this world? Once you change your bait, fish start to realize, hey, there's something on that bait that attracts me. But the only bait that attracts all the fish is the word of God. So underneath that, I, 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 want, you to, I want you to write uh, uh, a couple things down. The second is that some fish take different instruments. As Pastor Martin was talking about, he went deep sea fishing uh, with his brothers um, a, a couple weeks ago, and one thing that, that he mentioned was that um, a lot of the tools that he used to fish for those fish, you wouldn't need them in a pond because you would literally like outfish all the fish because your instruments are way too powerful for what they are, and you would almost probably abuse the like the the 
the poles that they were using could take like thousands of pounds of torque. Like thousands of pounds. Like that means that you're taking like a whale out of the ocean. So if you were to use that in a pond, you would like rip the fish apart. What I want to make sure you understand is that once you know what you're fishing for, you know what instruments you need to use. The best instruments that we are able to use is a couple of things. I want you to write this down. The first instrument is using the word of God. That's like, that's like the fishing pole. That, that, that's, that's the root. You, like you can have a line and you can have a, a hook, but if, if, you don't, if you don't have the pole, which is the foundation, then, then that's not enough. Another thing that, that you can use as an instrument, as I talked about before, is your testimony, your story. Like every person, have you ever went to a restaurant because somebody said so? You don't even look up the reviews, but my homegirl went and she always eating good. Like, that's the place to go. Like, your, your, your story and your experience is, like, better than Yelp. How many of you have ever been to a restaurant that was poorly rated, but your friend told you to go and it was fire? It means that you trust the people in your circle more than you even trust the establishment. So when we're inviting people to come to this place, when you're inviting people to meet the Jesus that you know, you should invite them with you because they're going to trust you because now you've become the hook. Does that make sense? Another instrument that you're able to use is the, uh, is, is the community. Can you say community? In the word, it says that they started to take in so much fish that they had to ask other people to help. How many of you know that we are all a part of a family? So that means that once I bring somebody to church or once you bring somebody to the church, it's not just your guests, they're our guests. Can you say our guests? If you come to our house and you bring somebody in, it's not just, hey, good to see you. Who's this with you? It's like, no, good to see you and good to see you too. Welcome to the family. Here we go. You ready for the third point? Third point. Once you know where you're fishing from and you know what type of fish you're fishing for, the third thing is this. You have to know what you're fishing with. Look at your neighbor and say, know your bait. It says that Jesus came up on these men while they were cleaning their nets. And I want, I want to bring you this analogy that as Peter was sitting there cleaning their nets, that Jesus walked up on them taking care of something that didn't work before. Like they had been fishing all night. Say all night. Like they wound up their net, threw it out, waited an hour, didn't catch anything, wound it back up and repeated that over and over and over and over again. Like I, I, want, I want you to, to, to really understand as we start to unbox this that that, that Jesus walked up on them as they were fixing themselves to catch more. A lot of us, once we reach, have you ever reached out to somebody and they rejected you? Every time that that happens, it's almost like figuratively that your neck had a little snag in it or a little tear. So the more and more we start to fish with people, or the more and more we try to share with people how great this place is that we call AWC or how great this thing is called the gospel, a lot of times fish can be unattractive because your net is all torn up. So the net that you try to catch people with is how broken the church has had you with. The net that you try to, the, the, the net that you try to catch fish with, it smells because you haven't cleaned it. What, what I want you to understand is that if we're going to start catching fish, we have to understand what our bait is, right? And the best thing that you can do with your net is to clean it daily. You know what that means? That means to be in your word as often as possible so that when you're, like, your net is your story. Like, like I capture people by telling them a story. They make a decision to believe it, but the, I entice people by telling them the story. Your, your life, your life story is the net, and it's worth being clean. Look at your neighbor and say, it's worth being clean. What God saved you from, that is what's going to catch people. Because that's the part that people have in common, not this new you. The new you, that net, is, 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 it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't look Familiar. I don't know who this person is whose life has changed, but that net that caught you before, catch me with the same one that caught you. Cleaning your net starts with the word of God where you look at what the word says and you apply it to what happened in your life and you can break it down to somebody where they're at. Cleaning your net is rehearsing how the person who got you saved or the event got you saved and practicing that with other people. Cleaning your net is so important because if you're fishing with something that's dirty, you can contaminate what you catch. So churches can be filled of people, but the fish are contaminated because the people that brought them were contaminated before them. So God says before you start to catch people, it's so important that what you're catching them with, that that's clean. 
It's kind of like eating food with dirty utensils. Like, even though the food is good, if you eat with the dirty utensils, what's on the utensils will be in your body. So, here's a couple of things that we can do to clean our nets. Is anybody interested? Here we go. Number one, you can get, uh, you can go over your testimony. Sometimes we can become so separated from what God did for us that we can forget how down we were. Like, and it's everything that you went through that catches people. Like, it's not just, you know what, I was, I was dealing with pornography and I got over it. The person's probably dealing with something deeper. But if I could tell them, like, I was in a place where I was so broken that I was abusing my body to get to a place that only God could get me to. Now you're hooked. Like, God delivered me uh, 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 from drinking and smoking. Like, okay, that's cool. But no, like, I used to drown myself because I was, I was trying to, like, get away from what I knew God was trying to get to me, so I used to drink and smoke. But now I understand that I drink water and I eat of the bread of life that I'm never going to be hungry or thirsty again because my body is a temple. When you understand what your net is, you clean it often. Yes. Yes. Second thing is this. You can stop dabbling in bondage and get free so that you can do the same for others. It's impossible to catch fish if you're still trapped in the same net. That's why Jesus says we're not supposed to play with sin. Like, it's not something that you play hopscotch with. Many times in the word of God, Jesus explains sin as a serpent, which is supposed to like either like step on its head or cut its head off, which means that if you're trying to catch people, you can't catch people if you're already bound. Now, I understand, like, we're all dealing with sin and we're all dealing with things, but the biggest and most important thing is to acknowledge, I got some stuff that I got to deal with, but as I'm progressing, you can progress with me. If we go to fish thinking that we're perfect, they will become unattractive. People are going to be attracted to this place for the same reason that you were attracted. Don't come to church and get to this point where you become so churchy that you become unattractive in the world. Everything that you respond to is hallelujah and bless his name. No, 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 no. Because hallelujah and bless his name is like speaking uh, another language to these folks. Sometimes when somebody asks you what's going, like, like when you ask somebody what's going on, the first response isn't, oh, God can save you. The first question is, man, I've been there too. Man, I, I, remember, I was that low as well. Man, but, like, I, I was there before, but now I'm different. Then the next question is what? Well, how, well, how did you, how'd you do it? Well... Here we go. The next point, your story points people back to Jesus. Like, like, let me, you ever heard somebody tell you their testimony and it's almost like they're bragging about how great they are? When I met God, really? I defeated pornography. Oh, you and all your might and splendor, you did? Every time we're fishing, we're presenting God with the fish that we catch. It's not for our consumption. We're not supposed to use this place and use God as a net for us to grow our friend group or to grow our own personal ministry or to grow our morning brunch. No, no, no. The point of why you share your testimony, the point in why you share why God is so important, the point of why we fish is so that we can take the fish that we catch and lead them back to the person that created them. Because our catching isn't capturing, it's a catch and release. So we catch the fish, we clean the, God cleans the fish, and we release them back into the world so that they can be as beautiful and amazing as they're, as they're supposed to be. Look at your neighbor and say your, your, your network is enough. So there are a couple of things that we're going to have to do once you're fishing, man. Like once it comes to meeting people, we're going to have to change our perspective. Can you say change your perspective? Here are a couple of things that we're going to have to like change the way that we see people because it's going to help us see them the way that God sees them. One of the prayers that we prayed this morning was, God, give us your lens so that we see the beauty that you put in people, not what we want to see. Like, think about that. If you were able to see people how God saw them, you would really understand why they act out sometimes. If, if, if you looked at your family, mem your family members, yeah, that one. That one, the one that you can't stand. If you saw that person, how God created them, rather than what you've experienced, you would think that they're worthy of his salvation too. So there are a couple of things that we have to do to change our perspective. Can you say that again? Change our perspective. Here it is. Number one, we have to fall in love with a person's progression, not their perfection. We have to understand that the moment that somebody walks into a building, they're not going to automatically, you know, know what to do in church. So for them, wearing a pair of shorts and a tank top might be the perfect will of God for their life. And just because they don't have on a three-piece suit doesn't mean that God wants less love for them than the other person that's dressed formally. 
Say progression. Because each and every one of us is still progressing. Like every single day, remember we talked about it before, God's mercies and his grace are new every single morning because we mess up the minute we breathe. Like the minute you breathe, you're wrong. Like even in your sleep, you're sinning. Like we were born into a world of sin, so we accept God's grace and we accept God's mercy so that we can accept progression, not perfection. But sometimes we become extremely intolerant and we don't want to see other people progress. We want them to start where we are now. The second thing that we have to understand in changing our perspective is to expect the unexpected. Say expect the unexpected. If you're fishing and you're only expecting to catch guppies and a stingray gets on your hook, you're kind of in trouble. Every time you fish, every time that you're talking to somebody, you should expect the unexpected. Sometimes I think like we can share our story with people and we can just expect them to say no, so we ask anyway just to say that we did it. Like you ever like ask somebody if they wanted to bite of your food and you were hoping they would say no and then they said yes? That was unexpected. And you want a bite? Yeah. Oh, dang. I, I, was, I was hoping you would have said no because it's, it's my last bite. It's my last bite. But, but I think that, that God, that Jesus, when he's looking at us share our stories, we walk past people. And it's sometimes like we don't want to ask because we know that the world is hurting so much that if we asked, every single person would probably want to know why. You ever been in that place where it's like an awkward silence when you're around people, but you know that what you have is what they need? And they don't ask for it, but they're looking at you like, I need something. It's like when you're walking in the mall and you just feel that once you've walked into the place, it's become a little bit brighter. When you walk into the family reunion and everybody just starts to seem a little bit happier, it's because the, the, like, living water is flowing through you. So another thing that we need to change our perspective is to, live your, is, is to live your life inside out and stop running from your story. What happened to you happened to you for a reason. Like your past, like, like what you went through, what you were exposed to, what you have experienced in your life, it happened so that your net could catch a certain type of fish. But sometimes I think, Brother Damon, that I don't like this net that God gave me, so I'm going to try to perpetrate and use another net, that somebody, like a false story or, or a false experience, and then I start catching fish with that net, but I have no experience with what I'm catching them with. God wants you to understand that what happened to you like, yes, it sucks, and the grace is sufficient, and God can heal you, but it happened because there are at least 100 more fish just like you that need to be caught. So if you were in a place where you were a deceiver, where you were a manipulator, yes, you, you become free, but don't throw that away. Use that to engage the people that are just like you. There is this thought in fishing. It's called the kingfish. Can you say kingfish? When, 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 when fishing in Alaska, I, I, was, I had to like look it up on National Geographic. Fishermen understand that if they catch the king salmon, that he will lead the rest of the fish. The kingfish. That if, if, I, if, if I can catch the biggest, nastiest salmon, all of them are going to believe that if, well, he, if he went in there and he's our leader, then we'll go. What if you were to share with your people that you're the king salmon and you've been caught, so it's safe to get caught? Like, I got caught, but I wasn't consumed. Like, I got caught, and I wasn't, like, ripped and gutted just to be eaten, but I was ripped and gutted and replaced with passion and replaced with grace and replaced with mercy. Like, I think what happens is, is once you explain to people that being captured by God isn't scary, then they can get it. Like, it's scary once you get captured in the net because it's dark, but that's God hiding you away so he can deal with your impurities. Like, it's, like, the net is scary. I know it's scary, but I want you to understand that once you're captured, then God can work on you. But people are afraid of the dark place, but God is saying, no, it's not a dark place where I'm trying to, like, get you away. It's a dark place where I can hide you so I can work on you. I, 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 have, to, I have to hide you away so that, you, like, whatever you're dealing with with sin, you don't see it. That's why when they catch fish, they put them in a bucket, because when they reintroduce them to a new habitat, if they see where they're going, they won't acclimate. So when they catch salmon, like wild-caught salmon, they want to take them to a farm. Once they catch them, they put them in a box or a container where they can't see anything. Because as they're looking around, they start to take in their surroundings, and then once they get there, they say, this isn't familiar. Once you're captured, you remember that place where God helped you, and it seemed like everybody else was like a blur, and God was working on you? Like every day you look at your word different. 
Like you were on YouTube searching for exactly what you were looking for. God, I need to have vision for my family. Like everything else is taken away because God has you in this dark place where your focus is on what he wants to get you, not where he's taking you. Because if God showed you where you are now, it would have scared you then. The same thing with your friends. Don't introduce them with where they're going. Introduce them with where they are. I know a God that can give you water now. If you're in a desert and you need some water, but you have a million dollars, your money means nothing to me. My water is more important than your money. My, the salvation that I know God can give you is more important than what you think your broken marriage is. Like, like, like the grace that I have that came from God, like that is more important than your broken heart. God has more than enough, but you have to commit to being to being cat. Look at your neighbor and say, your story is enough. Like, for real, say, your story is enough. Listen to this and write this down. There would be more transformation if we would teach each other the truth of how we got caught. How many more people would we, sa- not, not get saved, how many more people would we introduce to the Savior if we told them about how we started? Not, not the cute testimony, not, 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 not the one where you give them like a little bit of details, but I'm talking about the raw, grody, like, I was dirty. Like, I, I was dirty. How much more transformation would there be if we were honest with people about how we started? It's like going to the gym and seeing somebody that's all ripped up and they tell you that's how they started. You're not discouraged to go to the gym anymore. So that's why we have to change our mindset and look at the progression of people. Don't look at my six-pack abs in the Holy Spirit because I'm like a, a Christian juggernaut. No, 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 no. Like, your keg is perfect enough, and that's enough. Like, like God can work on what you got. Like, look at your neighbor and say, God can work with what you got. Like, you can get to my level, but it only starts when you swim into the net. Like... Like, I don't, like, don't worry about being on stage, like, like, like being on stage and, and being in front of the lights. No, God's going to start with you in your closet. Where you start is enough. It's going to get good in a minute. Or maybe this one's for me. It might just be for me. Here we go. Ready? Revelations 12, 11. The word says that they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives. I'm sorry. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. What we understand in Revelations is that there's two things that people need. There's the blood of the lamb, which purifies them and lets them know that what you went through is not bigger or more potent than the blood that came from the cross. The second thing is that they need to hear your story. Inviting somebody to church isn't enough. Once you get them here, you have to con- you, we, we have to get to a place where we are continually encouraging them to keep growing. Not keep coming, but while you're coming, keep growing. Like, 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 it's no point to come to the gym and eat right if you're not going to come to the gym. Like, like there's, there's, there's no point. Like, you can't miss all the parts. Like, just coming to church doesn't get you saved. But coming to church and meeting someone. Coming to church and then taking what you learned in this place and eating on that for the rest of the week. Come, c- coming to church and having the expectancy that when I walk into this place, how I feel doesn't matter. But God has something he wants to get to me today. But we have to understand, we have to understand something, people, is that a lot of people that come here don't know how to do what we do. Like, they don't understand that when the worship music starts that you lift your hands. Some of us don't even know why we lift our hands. Some of us, we be prophesying, we be speaking in tongues, but it's really you just saying your favorite lyrics from your favorite Busta Rhyme songs backwards. But what would happen if we built a church of people that we taught how to worship? Like, if it became a church, so like, yeah, you're caught, and you've been netted, and yeah, you're here in church, but let me teach you why God loves you. Not that Jesus loves you. No, 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 no. It's not the, just that he loves you, but there is a specific reason why he loves you. Like, he loves all of us, but he loves you. Like, look at your neighbor and say, I'm God's favorite. Come on, say it again. Say, I'm God's favorite. What if we led with that? You're God's favorite, and he died on a cross not just to get you to go to heaven, but so that you could rule some things here on earth. What if we taught people how to listen to the sermon? Not just to hear it, but like, like to listen to what it's saying and to apply what's happening up here in their lives. Like, like, like what if we taught people, like once they come in here, you say hello to people, not so that you can like check this thing off on your box, but sometimes your hello is the one thing that they need this week. Monday through Saturday was trash, but they're just looking for somebody to smile at them in a place and just look at them and say that they love them. 
Sometimes people fall asleep in church because it's the only peace that they have experienced. Like, the, the only peace. Watch this. How many dads do we have in the room? Have you ever taken your children to a movie so that you could get a nap? He said, oh, yeah. Hey, let's go see Lion King. And you want to see the longest movie. Oh, Toy Story, two and a half hours? Bet. Let's go. <laughs> Write this down. God wants you to have the same patience with people that he had with you. Yes. Remember how many times you fell over? Remember how many times you said, God, if you get me through this one, I'll never do it again. And God said, yeah, okay. I know the beginning from the end. You got like 10 more times to dabble with him. Like, like, I was like, you have 10 more times to pick up the bottle. Like, I know you don't really mean it, even though you think you mean it, but I still have grace, and it's sufficient for you. So if I can be patient with you, then you can be patient with this person that doesn't know me yet. Look at your neighbor say, it's worth it. Fourth point. Fourth point. Once you know where you're fishing from, and you know what type of fish you're fishing for, and you know what you're fishing with, write this one down. You need to know where you're fishing. Say, where you're fishing. How many of you know the statistics of the city that you sit in? The city that you live in, I'm sorry. Do you know how many people in this, in this city die of hunger every single year? Do you know how many people are, are, are literally taken to jail for six to eight months in the state of Nebraska because they don't have a driver's license, but it was provoked for means that they had no, like they didn't have the money to go get it renewed, but they had to take their baby to school and like, even though I have a driver's license, I'm willing to risk my life to get you an education. Do you know how many families in the state of Nebraska go to sleep hungry every single night and are not within driving distance of a shelter or a food shelter? Do you know how many people in this city don't know God? Do you know the pond that you're fishing in? One of the biggest things when I used to fish with my grandfather, he used to tell me that we would go to certain fishing ponds or, or fishing pools and we, we would fish there, but you fish different at each one. Like you fish different in your family than you do in the public area. You fish different in a public area than you do in the grocery store or in the gas station. You fish differently with your friends, like your homie, than you do people that you've just met. So can I just give you a little bit of information about, about your city? Can, can I let you know what your city is made up of? Why this city, in the culture of this city, why there's division? Like how many of you know that there is division? Be it racial, be, be it governmental, be, be, it, be it society, be it, be it money. Like, like there, there, there are literally like principalities in our city that are keeping us divided. If you don't hear anything that I say this morning, I want you to hear this because I'm coming for your neck this morning. I want you to understand this morning that regardless of your race, your people were hurt in this city. White, black, green, chicken noodle soup, as pastor would say, like, whatever you come from, your people were wronged. So can I just give you some information? Write these down. In 1891, a man by the name of Joe Coy was wrongfully killed because of, racial, because of a racial issue. He was dragged from the courthouse to the center of downtown where uh, uh, the Cobble Road is for a public display execution which was witnessed by 10,000 people. In 1899, Ruddy Yard Kipling, a novelist, the one who wrote The Jungle Book, visited North and South Omaha and saw, and, I'm sorry, he visited North and South Omaha and was disgusted by its unity. He saw Germans with the Polish, the Yugoslavians with the Hungarians, Hungarians with Croatians, and this is what he said. He said, the land must first be established by real Americans. This is your city. 1909, Omaha's Greek community was destroyed. During the 1890s, South Omaha's factories had a, a, a huge industry boom. You know, like, when you drive into South Omaha, you're like, hey, we in South Omaha, I can smell it. All of those factories were full of 98% of the Greek community. Over 125,000 Greek people were taken from their places because one man by the name of John Maserotis was accused of killing a policeman and the policeman was still alive. And they burnt down 24th and Q. That entire, in, uh, that entire area was evacuated and burned to the ground. All of the Greek bakeries, homes, schools, businesses, grocery stores, and cafes. They had lived in that community for 30 plus years. In 1924, race covenants were drafted to keep the Jewish community from spreading their population west of 24th and south of Fort Street. In, 19, uh, in 1941, Pearl Harbor was bombed, and immediately, say immediately, immediately. Omaha authorities imprisoned and interned 50,000 uh, 
50,000 individuals that seemed of Asian descent. 1952, there was a boycott of Omaha's public transportation, the mass, the map bus system that we know of. You know that what that is? People of color boycotted because of the inability to travel west for job opportunities and, uh, and were answered with the rerouting of the city's bus routes to not allow them to leave north, south, and central Omaha. They also raised the prices of a bus ticket by 15%. 1963, a sign reading, we don't serve any colored race, and it wasn't just black and brown people, but Yugoslavian people, people with olive skin, with dark hair, with brown eyes. So all of us, say all of us. All of us. They printed signs, and they basically, uh, I'm sorry, they printed signs, and they went to mass production and were distributed to any stores that wanted to have defense from a legal office. In 1990 to 2000, the Latin, Hispanic, and Mexican population grew up 100, grew by 150%. Like 150%. Like if that's an investment, you could put a penny in that thing and be straight for a year. But the city ordinance since then has made expansion of this, compu- uh, of, of this community impossible, but leeching of their resources easy. Do you know where you're fishing? There is nobody in this city that is not untouched by being hurt. Like, you can't look at the white person that lives out on 168th and say, since they live in Elkhorn, they have no problems. No, 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 no. Because the same problems that they're dealing with, it might not be the same level, but somebody on 24th and South Omaha, they're all dealing with something. Do you know where you're fishing? Do you know that every single person in this city, when you rub shoulders with them, they need the love of Jesus? Out of all of these statistics that I've written, yeah, we could say the government, and yeah, we could say the presidential uh, candidates and whatnot. No, 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 no. But black, white, green, chicken noodle soup, polka dot, every single person has been uh, uh, infected and affected by disunity. So why would we not accept them in these four walls? Why would we create barriers for fish not to get in here? Why would, like, you don't see country clubs for fish. Fish swim wherever it's open because they understand if I'm in this water, it's all in my access. 25 years ago, last week, two people by the names of Martin and Linnell Williams decided that they were not just going to stay and look at this pond called Omaha, but that they were going to set up shop here in Omaha. Like, 25 years ago, they came to this city, saw all of this stuff that I just read you, and still decided to plant their feet in it. Like, how many of you have been here for for all those years? How many of you, this is your first time here? What if they would have uprooted? Were you not worth being caught? Were you not worth being approached? Were you not worth the bait that they put on the hook? Because every time you fish, there's a sacrifice. Say sacrifice. Every time you fish, every time you put the net over the boat, there's a sacrifice. Peter said, God, I'm tired. But if you say so, If you say so, if you say so, I'll have the courage to fish again. Every single person that you know, you should have the courage to fish for them because God gave the ultimate price to fish for you. Our city is hurting, and it's because of different reasons, race, community, like government, society. But I want to make sure that you understand that God didn't die for a race. He died for his people and everybody his people. Our fish, our, our ponds should be full of salmon and, and, and tiger sharks and guppies and snails and frogs. It, it, it's, if you need a place to swim, Ambassador's Worship Center should be that place. Because once you're captured, you're cleaned up, and you're released into an environment where you're safe. People are getting beat up in churches, y'all. Walking into a place where they're supposed to be receiving love, hope, dominion, and power, and they're receiving black eyes, bruises, and broken bones getting beat up because they don't serve God right, getting beat up because they don't know their scripture. We have to understand, Bishop talked about it in a, a couple meetings ago, where like, we are living in a time right now where the world is the most unchurched that it's ever been. Like people, like I was singing with some kids a couple, uh, uh, in, in, when I was in the, uh, the nursery uh, a long time ago, and like, you know the whole song, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, and one of them, let's all praise the Lord, left or right arm, right? And then I can sing with some kids, and they look at me like, 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 what do you? Like, have you heard about the story about two fish and five loaves? Or was it four loaves and two fish or six loaves? Like, we have to understand that people don't know the word of God, so your story is going to have to suffice. 
God, I wish y'all could get this. I wish I, I wish I could get this. Like, you sharing that God is sufficient isn't going to be enough for them. It's not saying that the Bible's not enough. It means it's not enough for them. That telling them that, that there's a person that died on this piece of wood 2,000 years ago and gave them life, like, that, yeah, that's great. That's a great story. But if you tell them your story, say your story. Your story is more than enough. You know what? I'm done with this. You haven't been working all day. You haven't been working all day. Say it again. Say your story is more than enough. That thing that happened in the closet, that thing that you thought was supposed to break you and you're still here, there are people that are broken. You were broken so that you could set people free. Like, God, I don't believe that God, this is one thing that uh, my, uh, dad says all the time. Whenever you say that God won't put on you more than you can bear, that's a lie. But God puts more on you because he knows that you, can, he, he, you don't think you can bear it, but he knows that you can bear it. And he knows that you've already bared it because he knows the beginning from the end. So what you dealt with, if it didn't consume you, you should use it to catch others. Like if what you went through as a five-year-old, the torment of going through a family or sexual abuse or me like, like mental institution or, or whatever it was, or you were wrongfully accused, if it didn't kill you, that means that God was equipping you for a certain breed of fish. I can't catch salmon, Stacy, but your life teaches the salmon, so you should be catching them. What type of fish do you catch? What type of people do you, what type of people do, like, you always have the same friends. All the people that I always meet, they always steal from me, they're always frustrating, and they always, they like, they just, they just, ah! Like, they always just push me over the edge. Maybe it's not that God wants you to be hurt by people, but he knew that you could bear the pain of dealing with those types of folks. Look at your neighbor and say, what type of fish are around you? Who are you attracting? It's not hard. Like, we, like it's not like you have to go to, like, Kansas City and go to the mall and say, I'm going to witness the 10 people. No, 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 no. How about that person that you're texting right now? How about your grandma that you've been hoping, your auntie, that, your uncle, the person you've been hoping? Sometimes the fish around you, they need Jesus more, but we become so familiar with them. And we think that God wants us to catch bigger fish. But let me, know, let, let me tell you something. God is not interested in the size of fish you catch or how many. He's just looking, are you willing to throw the net over again? Is one person worth you cleaning your net to realize how important that person is? Here we go. So are you, are, are you wondering what our bait is? Our bait, how we catch people? That's what the culture code is. So I want you to write these things down. There's 10 of them. And if you open up your app and if you click on, the, on, on our connections, uh, I mean, our About Us tab, you can read them there as well. Our bait is built of community. This is a, this is, these are 10 things that are our combination of our core values, our mission, and our vision. When we start to fish, because now you're being deployed to go and find some people to tell them about the love of God. Not necessarily to bring them here, but to bring God to them. These are the 10 things that we're believing for. Number one, we are a church of community where everyone needs a place where they belong, a place where they can contribute and benefit from. We are a place of service where if, if something needs to be done and we have the time, energy, and capacity, you know what, we're going to do it. Third, we're a place of generosity. Fourth, our culture code is honor and respect. We honor those who came before us and led us to this point, and we respect those who are taking us into our future. Next, we're a place of collaboration. We intentionally integrate the thoughts, methods, and strategies of all generations. Say all generations. Nobody left behind. Doesn't matter how old you are. God still needs you, and we need you. There's no way that we can lead going to the future not knowing where we came from. We are a place of diversity where together we intentionally build a multi-ethnic, generational, and cultural church. We are open. We believe in heart communication that is open. Say open. Open, O for open, P for productive, E for effective, and N for neutral. We believe in faith. We believe in the active works. Say the active works. God is still speaking. Like the miracles that you see in the word, like that stuff is still happening. But it, it requires the faith of all of us as a body. We act, I'm sorry, we believe in the active works of God through miracles, suddenlies, and answered prayers. We are a place of worship. We actively seek and prioritize the presence of God. 
And listen to this one. You know, we want to know the last part of our culture code? It's fun. Fun in church? Some of y'all are like, wait a minute, this isn't a place of fun. This is a place of purity. <laughs> Somebody say fun. fun. We find a way to see and create joy in all we do. We find a way to do what? See and create joy in all we do. That's why we make it a huge deal when somebody gives their heart to Christ. From now on, it is illegal for us not to lose our mind if one person decides to give their heart to God. It is, if you call this your church, it is illegal. Say illegal. illegal. Like, we ain't gonna lock you up in jail. But like, it's illegal The word of God says that when one person gives their heart to God, that the heavenlies go nuts. And how many of you, you're where you are because somebody celebrated your salvation? Not just like, like you're going to deal with some things, but when you came to Christ, somebody was like, yeah. How does that feel? When somebody doesn't just look at you and say, hey, go get saved because you're dirty, but like, no, I'm going to stand here with you. I'm going to renew my vow to God with you so that we can start over again. The word of God says that you're supposed to die to your cross daily, which means that you're dirty daily. So whenever any person gives their life to Jesus in this place, we realize that the only reason why we do that, if it's one person, it's for him or her. When somebody dedicates their, their, their child back to God, we celebrate the family and the baby because now somebody is again under the covering that's covering you. When a single mother walks in door and she's, she's struggling. We help her because we understand I'm not just helping you because chivalry is not dead. No, I'm helping you because somebody helped me through the same doors you're walking through for the first time. Amen. If we are a community, you create culture by practicing it, not just reciting it. Yes. That's why the Pledge of Allegiance doesn't work because we recite it. We don't practice it. So we can say one nation under God, but we're not So you can say this place is for everybody, but you're not. You can say this place is a place of love, hope, dominion, and power, but you're not practicing it. What if we begin to actively practice love with each person? When you see something in somebody on Facebook and they say something about you and you know the whole, if the shoe fits, then you message them, oh, is that about me? No, 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 no. What if you were to take care of the issue like an adult, go to that person and say, hey, I don't think you're really upset with me. What's really going on? What if we stopped being Twitter warriors and we became prayer warriors? What if we went from this finger posture to this finger posture? That when I'm feeling some type of way, I don't jump on Twitter or the gram, but the first thing I do is I say, God, you know what? I'm feeling some type of way right now, but help me love my brother. What, what if we passionately, when we say greet your neighbor, you really greeted your neighbor? Like, Leon, how are you? Not just hug them and look cute because you're on the front row, but like, dude, like, what's good? That thing we talked about last week, like I'm praying for your salvation. Like I know that you don't have the power for it, but I'm going to stand in the gap. And when something happens to me, I expect you to do the same thing. What if we intentionally practice creating culture here? What if when you stepped into the house of God at 945 and you were expectant of worship and God was not, like, now God's like, oh, I got to hurry up because they waiting on me. No, no. Like, like what would happen if we started to practice what we preach? The word of God says to, to, to worship him in spirit and in, but a lot of us are worshiping him in spirit and deception. We're meeting people in spirit and, 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 and deception. Like, I, I want you to know God, but I feel like once you know God, there's not enough room for me. So let me show you something. I couldn't find a net, and all the nets that I found were for the big boys. They were like 500 bucks, and I was like, nah, you know what? I'm not going to do it. So this is what happens. This is the analogy that God gave me. Just imagine this is a net. Okay. <laughs> Imagine this is a net. This is the church. This is Ambassador's Worship Center. For some of us, we see this thing and we, and, and we, and it's, we can become timid. You ever walked into a, a place where like, you haven't been before? Like, there's that little feeling you feel like, I ain't never been up in here, but I'm going to go up in here anyway. So we get inside of the culture called AWC and we taste and see that it's good. And then when other people try to come in, because we fought so hard to get in, we try to fight people out because we don't think there's enough room. 
So I don't want to bring you in because you don't know how hard it took me. You, you don't know how hard it took me to deal with my sin. And if you're dirty, like, and you're dealing with what I got free from, so like, I, I can't let you in. So then somebody else comes, and now I'm frustrated, and it's like, oh, no, wait a minute. So now I'm defending people from the place that got me saved. Because I think that there's not enough, not enough room. So then it can get so, so much that I'm not, def- I'm not fighting you, but I will use the culture to protect me. So you can't get close to me. So this place becomes your refuge and not just a place of safety, but it's your refuge. And it's so big that nobody else can get inside of it. So now you can let go. Everywhere that I go, people meet this false representation of what AWC is. Right, right, right. They meet your representation of what the church is. So now, I feel like, you don't understand how hard it was for me to get over my sickness and my disease and, and my sin. So I got to keep this space around me as pure as possible so I can't let you in. So when I see, don't, hey, chill out. Stop. But what if instead of keeping people out, I used what God gave me in this church and I created a space? I created, I created a space. Come on. I created a space. Like, yeah, okay, come on. There's a whole bunch of room. Come on. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There it is. Yeah, yeah. Come on, come on, come on. I got a whole bunch of space. Anybody else want some? Come on. There's, there's, yeah, let's go together. Like, I got more space. Anybody else? Anybody else? I got more space. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there it is. You know what? I'm even selfless enough because I know what it's like on the inside. I'll step out of it. Anybody else? There's more room. We got room all over the place. I want you to understand that we have enough fish. We have enough room for all of the fish of the city. Your family is not too broken. Your relationships are not, like you're, nope, oh my goodness. God does not put sin on a Richter scale. Somebody that murdered somebody in cold blood and stole a cookie. If a baby steals a cookie, it's still the same sin. Our culture is not a repellent, it's a safety net. Love, hope, dominion, and power is for every person. And if it's not for everyone, then you're in the wrong space. But 25 years ago, they dropped their, their, their line and sinker in the pole in the water saying, God, every single fish that you allow us to catch for your glory. Thank you. Thank you. Is it making sense? Okay. Let me wrap it up. So this is what our bait is going to look like. Yeah, there are a lot of changes that are happening. I know some of y'all don't like the paint on the walls, but it's not for you. It's for the person that's never seen this building before. The J's are not for you, Joshua, even though I really love shoes. But the the shoes and the clothes that you wear are because some people won't even hear you in a three-piece suit. Because their boss yells at them in one from, from 9 to 5 on Monday through Friday. But Joshua, you also have to understand that you're elderly your older people, the people that carried you 25 years, they're also not going to hear you if they see your shins while you were in pants, holes in your jeans. So I, I, there, there's some things that we're going to make some changes on in our culture, but don't be afraid. Lean in. Like, don't be afraid when you see something change. Like, don't, because people will use, like, really small things. They change the paint. I'm not going there anymore. Really? Because of some paint. You got fired from your last job without them asking you, and you didn't say nothing. So here it is. This is what our net is going to become. Number one, it's going to become small groups. I, I want to let you know that in October, we're going, to be trying, we're going to be trying something new where we start to do community on purpose, where we're meeting with one another and we're all eating the same thing that came from the service, but we're doing it around people, good food, and creating family. How many of you know that a lot of people go home, but they're not really going to peace? How many of you, you know you got a little bit of peace that runneth over that you could give somebody? Another part of our net is restructuring how we do it. You're going to see a lot of things, a lot of things that, 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 that are going to change, like how we take our offering or, or how we do altar call. And if you become frustrated with how we change things, it's because you were, we, we can become so attached to the ritual and not the righteousness. Like somebody came up and talked to me after I did um, the communion and they were like, well, you didn't say this, that, and the other. And I'm like, really? 
That was probably the most fun you ever had taking communion. You really got something to say? Come on, man. The third thing is the aesthetic. Say aesthetic. It's not going to look like this. There's going to be a giant screen on the wall. Worship's going to be nuts. You're going to be see people. You're probably going to see people that worship God by laying on the floor. I mean, you're going to see some things that change, but that shouldn't detour you from coming to this place. Because our culture accepted you when you came, and we thought you were a little weird too. Look at your neighbor. Say you a little weird. Come on, say it like like you a little different. You a little different. But look at them. Look at them and say this. Look at this. Say we accept you. We accept your weirdness. We accept. You smell a little bit different. You smell like chicken curry every Sunday. Well, you smell like greens every Sunday. Let's have a potluck. Like, the last thing of our bait is that we need you. This means nothing if you don't take it with you. But, but, but can I show you something? I need everybody to stand up. I want everybody to take your hands and I want you to hug yourself. When Jesus came and he saved you, he gave you the opportunity to love him, but to love yourself. Once you realize who you are and God changes your life, he gives you the ability to love others. Come on, open them up. But once you know how to love others, remember in the word it says that they caught so many fish that they had to do what? They had to ask for help. Link arms with the person next to you. Love yourself, love others. Now let's go get them. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. Wow. Love yourself, which means that if you're in a place and you're broken, just deal with that now. Like receive God's salvation for your life. Love yourself. Once you love yourself, Love others. Find community. Find some people that are trying to help build you up. Not people that are trying to, like, criticize you, but they're trying to build you. They build you. And once you start to love other people, link arms with those folks. And let's just, let's just capture the city. Let's capture the city. North, south, east, west, black, green. Like, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you were convicted of a felony. It doesn't matter if, if, if who you slept with the night before. I don't care if you're a part of the LGBT community because I believe that God's grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. You can catch a lot more people this way than you can by yourself. That's why we say plug in. That's why we call this the culture code. Because once we are banded together, it's not, the thing that keeps us together isn't that we love one another. I mean, that's great, but that's not enough. But the blood of Jesus Christ, that's enough. That's the thing that keeps us together.